Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Hey kids, you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Summer's almost done, for real kids this time. Yeah, I know most of you think summer's over after Labor Day, but the autumnal equinox is not happening until 4.02 p.m. on Friday, September 22nd. So that means I get to play one more song that reminds me of summer. And what better way to seed summer go, see it out, than riding a love roller coaster.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. In case you missed it, that was Love Roller Coaster from the Ohio Players Honey album from 1975. Yeah, we definitely have a bit of funk going on this week. No, not funk like stank funk or funk like bad mood funk, but funk like funky tunes. Like this one picked by this week's guest artist. Ain't nobody telling him what to do. Oh, no, 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 no.
That was the amazing Shaka Khan and Rufus with Ain't Nobody, a bonus track from their 1983 album Stompin' at the Savoy. And now that we've uh, played this song, you know what comes next. Woohoo! It's time for my favorite part of the show. Welcome to Fish Out of Agra's Guest Artist of the Week. Woohoo! Oh my God, this is my most favorite part of the show because I get to present to you a fantastic new guest artist every week. And here sitting with me is one of my favorites. Yes, I know. Every week <laughs> I say it's my favorite, but it's true. People are my favorites. It's like situational favoritism. You're sitting in the room with me you're now. A you're my favorite. <laughs> I'm a serial favoritist. So let's get right to it and introduce to you the amazing storyteller, Ilsa Jewel. Okay. Hi, Michelle. Thank Hi. you. Hi. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Good. I'm yeah. happy to have you. We're, we're going we're gonna to be talking about all kinds of stuff. Oh, and as, and as storytellers, we know words have power. Correct. So, Ilsa, yes. uh, let's let the listeners know how we met. Okay. Um, do you want me to tell you how we met? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, hi, listeners. Um, <laughs> so, a year ago, I'm going to play with the cap of your yeah, um, water. So, um, I'm drinking Vita Coconut Water. Plug. Yes, plug. I'm drinking A&W Root Beer. Plug. No caffeine. Plug. Um, so, I was platonically dating a friend who's female, and she has like really I consider good taste in like stuff to do that's interesting in the city mm. and I just for whatever reason I'm impatient I don't want to go to a million things because if like 70% of them stink then I'm not going to I'm going to get discouraged and so she um saw that there was a reading or performing at uh Cornelia Street Cafe for the New York Story Exchange this oh. was in June and so I'm like, great. I, you know, I have nothing. We had nothing to lose. You know, ten bucks, drink is included. You go in. I kind of, I, and I trusted her. I knew she was going to curate the evening properly. And so I went. And so it was. I was actually a lot more into it than I thought I would be because a year before I had been somewhere else that I'm not going to mention, and I saw a bunch of storytellers, and I was like, "Wow, this is horrible," and I didn't think about. Oh it. snap! Yeah, so I want to know, Ben. You got to tell me when we go off I, the air. I'll tell you all right, later. right, right. Because it's not a recurring thing. It was like kind of a one-off. Oh, okay. It was kind of a whatever, okay. and it was just it was bad. So. Um, then this uh, June twelfth, uh, you know, two, twenty sixteen. Who was the host? Uh, it was Barbara, I think. Oh, cool. Which we'll get to. Uh, yeah, it was. Barbara, yeah, Barbara. This Lepranthus. is what happened. So, yeah. so everyone's telling the stories. You guys do your features thing. I of course have summer hours because it's the summer. I come in a little late. I sit down. I get settled in. I'm listening. It's interesting for sure. Um, and then. Barbara does five for five, which mm-hmm. is what you all do. And well, five for for five, just to explain, yeah. is that um, after the book show, there are four book storytellers that get ten minutes each, and mm. then af- immediately following, mm. there's the five for five open mic. So pe- the first five people to sign up will get five minutes if of stage time. time. Yeah, if yeah. we have time. So um, so then they do the five for five, but then Barbara gets up, and Barbara's just kind of like intense and. So Barbara gets up and she does this like one and a half minute story. It's the one about the rabbi and the storm and the stagecoach. Mm. And it ends with uh, 
Why are why the the guy says why aren't you freaked out and the rabbi is sort of like well because the storm is always going on around us but the way obviously I do no justice to the telling of the story but Barbara tells it and I just said I want to be able to do that and so Casey and I go our separate ways that night and I just put my brain into like insane processing overdrive. And so I decide what my first story is going to be. So I text Casey the next day. I'm like, I have my story. And she's just like, what? I was like, well, I know what I would do. So then I write my first story, and I start to memorize my first story. And this is my biggest rookie mistake in the history of rookie mistakes because when I start rehearsing, I realize that the story I've memorized is not the actual story I'm going to tell because it needs to be edited and turned into a better piece, et cetera, et cetera. So I then had the very extremely painful experience of having to strip the entire story out of my memory, like where I memorize stuff, and then write, and then learn, and then, for whatever reason, Jeff Rose, Jeff Rose. who's one of your co-hosts, mm-hmm. yes, is that what um, Yep. So Jeff Rose taped it, and then I don't know how if he got my email or what, but somehow he's like, I really liked your, maybe it's all the way the next month. He's like, I really liked your story. I've taped it. Can I put it online? And I'm kind of like, sure. But then he also, he's like, I want to book you as a feature. And I'm like, uh, you can't do that <laughs> because I've only told one story my entire life. And there's no way I could figure out how to tell a 10 minute story. And plus to me, the whole feature thing just seems so romantic and amazing and off in the distance. And maybe someday I'll be featured. Um, so I told him that he was free to book me for December because I really felt like I don't know. You know, there's something about. I really like the room at Cornelia Street, and I really yeah, it's have, very intimate, it's and it's and it's just a, good, it's good mojo, right? Yeah, Beautiful it's got mojo. good. It's got good mojo. So I felt like I wanted to do right by the audience, and I wanted to do right by the tradition of storytelling, and I just felt like I had this something in me had been awakened where I just felt like I wasn't just going to get up and blab. Wow. So, um, so you actually got to a point in a couple of months. Well, like, I got there really quick. Like for free. Yeah. That a lot of people spend a lot of money for and take years to, to get to. Yeah, but you know oh what, though? I was so invested. Like, and you were ready for it. It was yeah, just, it was ready for it. It, like, it, it, was it, it found you and right. you found it. It was like, because I believe that there's serendipity. Yeah. I mean, there's a saying that uh, uh, luck is opportunity, preparation plus opportunity. Right. So, even though you weren't like really prepared, right. ring for right. it, you were prepared at the so point in your life part of that, who to do I it. Was, I was like, yeah. wow, this is the right. And thing. you haven't stopped ever since because nope. I see your name everywhere, yeah. everywhere. <laughs> so okay, so you came to storytelling yep. like out of nowhere as yep. an adult yep. through a friend. So Very how old. how did the Ilsa story start out? Uh, so I was born in central Massachusetts way back in the 60s, and uh, when I was a kid, there wasn't a lot of money. I have a younger brother who is super awesome, and, um, you know, uh, my early years were definitely challenging, and then we kind of moved around, and my father went to grad school, and then so eventually he starts making some money. Um, my parents, who probably should have maybe gotten divorced very early on, stayed together for many years. Um, And so obviously my brother and I are moving around the world with them. So we lived in Los Alamos for a while. Then we moved back to the East Coast for a while. Um, I do elementary, the end of elementary school, junior high and high school um, in the greater Boston area. And I think in terms of like performing stuff, um, I don't really, this is all very interesting where I am now sitting here talking to you. It's really kind of, it's fascinating to me because um, I think, and I say this to people, I'm like, if you had come to me two years ago and been like, you're going to be selling stories and doing whatever, I'd be like, you're crazy. It just, it was not in the conscious 
forefront of my brain. I just was like, I liked writing. I'm happy writing. I like thinking. I like just doing things. But I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. So do you primarily, had you primarily considered yourself a writer? Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. I was a writer. But I think to your point about performing, though, there was definitely some exhibitionism involved. And I think um, always having been like super masculine female and being sort of trans slash passing slash I don't know, whatever, you know, people use whatever the words are these days because um, they've changed over the the several decades oh, that the, I've been alive. The vocabulary changes like it's weekly time, and, right? I, and I've given up like trying to keep up with yeah, it. I'm just, so that's what I'm saying though. So for me, I think that... Um, when, you know, when I was a teenager and the whole androgynous and the wearing guys' clothes and all this, it, it was it was interesting because it was part of me. And it's mm. almost sort of how, like, the storytelling's part of me. It's like the way my life seems to evolve is, like, I'm doing a certain thing and then something happens and then I go into that iteration. And so then the, what you're looking at now, aside from the gray hair, this is pretty much how I've looked for, like, I don't know, 35 years, right? So since I'm 15 or 16 years old. Um, so you could have been, been hanging out with David Bowie and Grace Jones and fit, fitted right in. Exactly. But the, and, and I Lennox. would just look like a 12-year-old boy. Right. <laughs> but, you know, the, the androgyny back in the, because I think we're from the mm -hmm. same generation, uh, the androgyny from the 80s mm -hmm. is similar but different to the gender fluidity amongst young people now. Right. Like, I don't know that, I mean, like, people now talk about genderqueer, mm -hmm. which I feel like came about when uh, more people were sort of tra transitioning more openly and all that sort of stuff was going on. So I don't really think of myself as genderqueer, but if I were to, I mean, but, and it's always weird to try and s describe myself because I feel like the way the world receives you is kind of who you are, right? Because yeah. that's why you could argue, I'm a this, I'm a this, I'm a this, and I was like, whatevs, and then they think you're that. So there's always that sort right. of, like, it's kind of like the connection, not connection, and it's kind of cool, and it can be problematic. Like, I, I can guarantee you that being like this, when I was a kid, I was openly gay, you know, as a teenager in the early 80s. Not a lot, of, there were more, like, boys that were sort of gay, but that's because they were a little bit more feminine, and they were also kind of queens, so they're like, yeah, fuck you, I'm gay, right? And But the girls... You know, for whatever reason, bisexuals, femmes. I mean, people are it's like... It's always more difficult for a girl, no matter what. Whether you're uh, biological female or not. Yeah, right. You, if you choose female, it's, it's just more difficult, whether you chose it or not. Right. It's like, it's like the, the, the... And I haven't rejected it. I just have what I consider to be a very masculine yeah. personality. That's well, you look like a dude. Over, right, yeah. I mean, you is, know... And I'm not going to fight that. Why would yeah. I... I would have wasted so much time if I spent my life fighting what who I am. Right. right. So anyway, so... So to the performer, how the performer emerged, I think, you know, there was, you know, there are some people that might get upset by what I'm about to say, but like to some extent, gender is performance. So that's a little bit of, you know, you like, you got up and you created this. I got up and I created this. I don't know. We live in New York City where millions of people, I think it's really awesome, are getting up each day and creating, you know, I, I like to think they're creating like the most fantastic romanticized like kick-ass version of themselves. I know there's a lot of people out there suffering who aren't, but I'd say in this town, you have a way better chance of you'll find your group. Your people are there. Go find your clan. Do your thing. Yeah, right? You, know you, I mean? you take people at face value. If you, if, if you look like a guy, you're a guy. Yeah. To me, yeah. you know, I mean, but I... There's a relatively similar thing is that, you know, I'm I'm Puerto Rican, but I'm very light-skinned and right. I have red hair. Yeah. So a lot of times of people freckles, see me right? and I have yeah. the freckles. And, and if people don't know yeah. the history of the Caribbean and how yeah. everybody's all mixed, yeah. they just look at me and, like, I had, a, I got into this argument right. on the friggin' A-train once, a long time ago. I had 
bumped into a lady, yeah. and then and she was, she, 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 she was all pissed at me, and she's like, white bitch, I'm gonna and like and she kept like and I just turned around and I put my best accent on and I was I was like mira poniato who the fuck do you think you're calling white and she just like looked at me like and she just zipped it at that point it was like and oh she was like mad bigger than me right and so she was like and I was like alright redheads one big bullies nothing. <laughs> but what are you going to do? Because peep, that's that's the information that people have to go by is right. what their eyes right. tell them at first until yeah, you get you to know still, somebody. But you can still respect people you don't yeah, want to dis- exactly. some dignity. You don't... I blame the train conductor oh, for, for driving like it like that? an 80 school bus. <laughs> the big cheese. Didn't you guys call it the cheese? Is what that cheese? What the buses I thought in the Bronx that the kids call them the cheese because um, they look like that American Oh, yeah. They no, they look like welfare cheese. That horrible welfare cheese. Oh, that's not that. That's for another show. So so back so um so I okay. didn't realize that that you were a writer is that is that what your day job is is no. that do you, are you a creative you writer know, it's do you so publish so interesting because um for many years I uh, I've been writing and I never wanted to bring it out into the open because I didn't like it was like my personal like like my little thing mm. and it was mine to just kind of cherish and and I don't need anybody thinking about it criticizing it loving it I really just did it for me so I was doing it for me for a really long time and I mean I, there was you know a couple of zines I went to Hunter College so we had a a very um brazen openly uh lesbian focused uh magazine at the time called Sappho's Scribblers which was just yeah, awesome alliteration it like, yeah it was this um I don't know, what were we, quarterly, semesterly or something, but uh, yeah, I got yelled at by Sylvia Fishman because we actually p- published a photo of a pierced clit, which was kind of awesome. Old subversive. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> but hey, it was like, I wanted like the lesbians or, you know, lesbian friendly, whatever, I guess they're called allies these days. You know, that culture I thought deserved to have a voice and we, you know, everyone was into it and we were very specifically publishing poems and stories and you know, whatever. It was a cultural thing. Had so. you ever gone to New York and to do poems? Nope. Because okay. I don't do poems. I'm not a poet. Oh, okay. I, I'm like a prose. I've been doing prose. And that, that's what I also like about the storytelling is that it's so weird because for a long time I always thought uh, you can avoid this, Ilsa, but the, the, the who you are and the fiction, I mean, the, the facts of who you are and what that is, that's where you got to do. And so that's, again, I'm, I'm not really a procrastinator. I'm just kind of pig-headed. And so it's always like, really, I mean, just when Barbara did, 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 I was like, God damn it, that's it. And that's, you know, but I have to wake up to myself whenever the heck I wake up to myself. Oh, yeah. Not, you could have been saying to me for 15 years if we'd known each other, Elsa, man, I really think you're funny and you're a great writer. And I've read your like short stories and I think you should tell stories about it now. Uh-huh. I mean, she's a mule, no. straight up mule. And I'd be like, I'd be like, you know what, Michelle? You do storytelling. Can I come to Word Up? And you'd be like, oh, friggin' finally. And then you'd be like, that was awesome. Why'd you wait so long? And I got no excuse other than I just been, you know, a mule, stubborn mule. Oh, you born in July? No, I'm oh, a Sag. Okay. Uh, I, I no oh, I'm a Sag rising. Oh, very nice. So that's what, because I'm stubborn, and, and I'm stubborn too. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> but that you like is to funny. talk. You could talk someone's head off, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I think there was, you know, so there's some performance just from the gender thing, because, you know, the friends thought it was fun as a teenager, and then. 
I was in art school for a very brief period of time. Oh, which did one? Do, I was at the museum school in Massachusetts, which oh, okay. I don't love to talk about because it was a bad experience. Right. But um, there was a little uh, performance art, which I thought was cool. But, you know, I feel like performance art for me doesn't work because it's like I'm going to pierce myself. I'm going to set myself on fire. I'm going to blow up myself. I'm going <laughs> to run around and scream and throw raw meat on myself. It was always like... I'm not saying they weren't doing things that weren't right for them, but I was just like, oh, man, that's not my thing. So was it too theatrical for you? It was just, I felt like I felt like they were legitimately pushing some boundaries mm. in a place that well, was right for them. At the time. But I, I just wasn't at a place where I could figure out who I was and how would I combine it with this pushing. You know, I felt like just, I show up as me, all kind of whatever androgynous and shit. I'm like, this is my contribution at this point. That's the best I got. And then it takes, you know, decades. When did you move to, to New York? Long time ago. Like, was it the 80s still? No, I was partying here in the 80s, obviously. Uh, 90, 91, I actually oh, okay. moved here. I've been here 26 years. Oh, okay. I've been here more than half my life. Wow. Yeah, which is intense. Yeah, that, and so that's And so a really lot of people intense. are like, you're a New Yorker. I'm like, okay, you have to tell me that. No, I I, that you know what? I, I don't, there are a lot of people, I mean, I'm a native, obviously. Yeah. But I don't, like, there are some people that say if you're not born and raised here, you're, you're not, never a, you're, you're never going to be yeah. considered that's a New really Yorker. True, I mean, you're not going to be a native, right? Right, because you weren't you born here. But you, there's some naturalized me, New Yorkers. To me, I I think <laughs> you're a New Yorker if it's if the love for this city is in your spirit and your heart and you came here to give something you know, of yourself back to it. You know, it was when I finally it. got here, I was like, what took so long? It was so, this is another thing. I'm like, it's so obvious I should be here. I've been in Boston way beyond I should have been in Boston. And and so life conspired to have bad things happen, and I came here. And strangely enough, I come to New York City. I find my sanity. I find my center. I find people I like. I find... You know, I was in survival mode for a long time, but it was a, an easier version of survival mode. So, um, I don't know. I love New York. I'm glad I'm here. So, I'm, it was meant I, to yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, a lot of performers come from uh, the Boston area yeah. in uh, in Massachusetts. I it's mean, I, I, I can, like, name, I, well, I'm not going to name them because right. it'll, it'll, it'll take me a long time. But I can think, like, of a, of a dozen. Yeah. That, like, and, and many of them came out of Emerson. Oh, yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. And that's yeah. the school for that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Such, such nice people up right. there. But meeting the other but storytellers. But to me, I just was like a teen, so Boston, too, right. is like the, te- the city you cut your teeth on, whereas yeah. New York is always mm-hmm. like the big bad, you know. Well, going, taking what you said just to another level of that, like the storytellers that I met there that were like our age, young, you know, like from like 25 to 50, let's mm-hmm. say, the grown, yeah. in the grown-up demographic, yeah. a lot of them wanted to live in New York, you know, right. but like circumstances wouldn't a- allow right. that at that junction in their lives. And they were always like, I, not all of them, but many of them were just like, they wished they could be here. It's not an easy yeah. town though. So if you're not supposed to be here, it won't get any easier. Right. And if you are supposed to be here, which I feel like I definitely was supposed to be here because sure, I had my lumps, but I, I never felt like it was the city. Yeah. It was like me just moving through my yeah. life. There's a difference, yeah. right? You know, it's where you're supposed to be. There yeah. are many native New Yorkers that, that can't wait to get the fuck out of Dodge. Right. You know, and then no, great. There's serious. The entire world. Good. That Good. You leave. Can go. Leave so someone else can come in. <laughs> but then again, <laughs> yeah. now because of hyper- I'm always like, give the seat up on the subway. Yeah. That's what I'm like. If someone wants to leave, I'm like, great. There's another seat on the subway. Someone else to take it. But lately, like in the past. I'm going to say since the turn of the century, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's been a preponderance of hyper gentrification. Yep. You know, like New York oh, City yeah. is always in transition. Yep. Neighborhoods have changed yeah. through from time wealth. and memorial. Yeah. I mean, Lower Manhattan, 
was the gangs of New York with the mm -hmm. dead rabbits and stuff, and now it's you know it's all built up, and it's the financial district and yeah. like uh, 100 Center Street and uh, the what's called the, that big building on Chamber Street. What is that? The municipal center, whatever oh, okay. is there, and that's where like gangs of New York was right. years ago. So yeah. you know, there's always been a transition in the flux of neighborhoods, but now it's like the city has become branded. It's, oh, it's yeah. like it's it's a branded it's it's like a brand. Well, it's like a luxury brand. And people so, come in that don't have anything to give to us. They just want to take. Right. Well, the other thing is, if you think that oh, hey, I want to go live in the East Village, I want to be like, well, the East Village I think you want to live in is the East Village from twenty years ago because yeah. the East Village of today it's Bushwick. Is, yeah. Well, I don't even know about that. I just know it's like extremely expensive, and all the things that were really amazing are, I think, more or less gone. And uh, you know, no offense to anyone who's over there being amazing with. Um, you know your your shops from back in the day, and you're still hanging on. But a lot of money has come in, cleaned up stuff for sure. Rents went through the ceiling, so that's not the East Village yeah. from back in the no. you know, 70s. Or and 80s and, th and, thing, and things change and too. Good. You yeah. know, there's less violence, and that's a beautiful thing. And like, you know, listen, I, I was saying to a person that I was interviewing the other day, who wants to go back to the days where like I, you, I was chased up five flights yeah, you don't. of stairs Nobody with someone that, that I knew was going to hurt me if right. they caught me screaming right. at the top of my lungs when my parents opened the door. Right. No. Don't nobody wants to go back nobody, to that. Nobody <laughs> wants to go back to those days. Nobody wants to go back to the Son of Sam. And we're not going to romance the No, no Son no. of Sam. No. no 1977 blackout. No. 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 <laughs> but like, I don't know what a happy medium is. So, And that's why we tell stories. Correct. Because we have all this stuff like churning around in, inside of us. And people need, to, like for me, my thing is like, I want people to know what it was like to be here in New York at a certain time, right? And why? And that's your thing. And why you people, have a super specific this and is, why you bring people, that slice mm -hmm, of life like to our us. lives? Yep. And why we mattered, right? Like bringing that whole working class out of borough yep. thing of up to trying wanting to be something greater than what the outside world is telling you you are allowed to believe you can be. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I guess that's for you. That's the art, artistic angle, yeah. right? That's yeah. where you were going to do yeah. that like sort of escape route. Yeah. So what kind of stuff have you written? Uh, it was um, a lot of, for a long time, it was short stories, um, you know, usually with like some kind of lesbian story lesbian characters living their lesbian lives um and then i'm, I'm, I'm laughing because it's like <laughs> lesbian characters living their lesbian well, life you know, in a lesbian doing. house and yeah, they're eating exactly. lesbian meals right with the cats <laughs> yeah with tea. the cats yeah. everybody has cats right. don't, well, don't, don't lesbians have definitely tried to have more of them <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so then i decided i wanted to try and write some novels uh so i wrote a novel and i didn't like the way i was writing and so i stopped and then I wrote another one, and I thought the writing was a little better, and I didn't like that either. And so then I wrote another one that I actually finished, and I did like. Um, well, we haven't actually covered this yet, but I think that I, in terms of the whole artist and trying to perhaps earn some money by being creative, and I know there's a lot of different ways to do that, sort of. Um, you could be a commercial photographer, you could be a designer, you could be a, you know, whatever. All a these copywriter for an ad agency. I think I, I definitely would like to try and figure out something around performing and writing. And, and that's why I think the thing with, with Barbara and seeing her and, and wanting that, it was like, what did I say I wanted that? It was like the, that ability. Like mm. She got up and she held that room and I was like, that's intense. That really and changed you, huh? Oh, it's, yeah. it's like, it almost feel like, I almost think that there was like a, oh. Where the clouds parted yeah, and like and the, the sun, sun stream, yeah, streamed right. in. Yeah. Wow. And that's so, amazing. Yeah. That's why I love storytelling. Right. I and you know, it. the thing is, there are a lot of people who are probably like, meh, whatevs. And then the, some other story does that for them. You know, right. but for me, in that, at that moment in time, that, yeah. that, that, that event. So that's I guess 
the um, the new thing, and I've been talking to friends of mine who are you know more on the artist spectrum and uh, trying to figure out how they have more art in their lives and support themselves. And usually it's a mix of some kind of either freelance, which is not a big thing anymore. But when you and I were young, there were it, the world was populated. I mean, there were bike messengers, there were freelancers, there were you could actually kind of maybe work in a restaurant. Was where now only, you'd have to kill yourself the, with the, the number of hours you'd have to work to do that kind of work. There was and only then, freelance in the right? 90s. Back in the day, right? I, there was only, I freelanced for tw for over 20 years. Right, but you lived. Yeah, I lived. Actually, in some places, I'd live better than I do now on a salary. <laughs> That's not good. No. <laughs> but you have benefits in some now. Way, but I have benefits yeah, now. I, I, have, I, have, yeah. I have insurance, right. which I, at this juncture in my life, I'm you very want, grateful right? to have. Yeah. Trust me. Right. Trust me. Um, so, yeah, so I think that it's, um, and it's funny because I have this, this friend who I want to have a much deeper conversation with because uh, her and her partner, a man, um, and actually maybe they're married, so it's her husband, they've been doing uh, their art for, I think, like close to 30 years, which is pretty impressive. Well, what do they do? Uh, they do, well, uh, he does a mixture of sculpture and a little painting, and she does painting, but then and they do other um, restoration of things, and that's oh, how they nice. make the money, because right, they're right, not right. earning, they're definitely not no, earning no, their No, paint, paint, painters yeah. are not earning, not, no, painters are not, not making bank. It's not the 90s, it's not happening no. like that. You know? no. So, so trying to figure out, for me, my next sort of iteration is, um, don't starve to death, but yeah, have don't more starve. creative time. Don't starve to death. You know, have insur ha yeah, make sure that, that your health is covered yeah. because shit can change in an instant. Oh, yeah, no problem. I mean, so are yeah. you allowed to talk about your day job? What do you do? I mean, I could, sure. I mean, I work in publishing. I've worked in oh, publishing okay. for like 20 years. I've so been that's a like a satellite I yeah. industry. That's close enough so that you feel like you're on the... It's like working in fashion or advertising or like but working I've, for I've a TV studio. But I've aged out of it, though. It's been two decades. And so my brain is just kind of like, nah. I mean, not that I'm, I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm ungrateful, I'm unhappy. I'm just kind of like, I actually wouldn't mind if I found a grittier way of mm. maybe a fewer hours for the work and then a couple more hours for the, um, the creativity and, and fig find that balance. Yeah, the and balance that's my is hard. hard work. Yeah. That's, that's it's my difficult. homework, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's so difficult. I mean, I, I lucked out with my, my day job is supportive to the extent that people that have slightly unorthodox extracurricular um, that's cool, activities yeah. are all right. But like when it comes down to it and you need to do this work, you, you, better, you better fucking right? be here. Yeah, 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 you better be here. Right. Yeah, exactly. don't, don't be taking off. Don't be yeah. coming in late. Don't yeah. be coming in drunk. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't tell <laughs> me you need... Which kind of all those things yeah. should just be whatever. Anyway, right, right, right. right. <laughs> but yeah. well, I never come to work drunk. <laughs> well, good. I might leave drunk now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, you know, don't, don't, say you, don't say you're performing. Like you right. have to leave it at 5 o'clock when you're on deadline. You know what I mean? You got to treat it like a grown-up or that's it. Right. No, it's it's, 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 I, it's balance. Agree. But yeah. that's why. I'm, but I. But I think that um, I'm really happy and very grateful actually to publishing because you know you don't make a lot of money, but at the same time because you don't make a lot of money, I've watched the world go like this, but I've sort of gone like that. You yeah. know, it's been sort of a little flat, but very consistent. Like I was like, all right, I'm gonna get up, and make nothing, but I get to keep getting up, and making nothing. Right, and that's exactly. Cool because I can still. Live in Manhattan and hang out in Manhattan. And you live in Manhattan? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's what I'm saying. And, I mean, it's the last affordable neighborhood in Manhattan up in the Heights. But, um, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's my new thing is I got to worry and work and think. And, actually, I think I want to try and stop thinking about it and maybe just meditate. Just do, and do stories, just yeah. yeah. And just oh, keep no, doing well, stories. Well, that's the thing is I'm yeah. so invested in yeah. the stories yeah. right now. I could so, I I could, so much Have fun. you pitched to Risk? 
Kevin Allison's? I have not. You should. Yeah. I think I think you're ready for it. Hey, if you, if you could just like tell a story at New York Story Exchange, and then Jeff is going to book you like the next day. And Jeff is picky. <laughs> is he? Jeff oh, is Jeff right. is picky. Props so, to Jeff. Yeah. I mean, props to all y'all. Yeah. I really love ah, that thanks. room. Well, good. I'm that I'm I'm really fun, glad yeah. that storytelling found you, or you found it. And now I'm going to ask you yes. to give us a little taste. All right. So um, here goes. Uh, I don't actually have names for my stories. Uh, we don't need a name. We don't care. Good. Okay. Story. Okay. Here. Story. Um, <laughs> so in the early night, you can't laugh. All right. Now I gotta start over again. Um, so in the early 1960s, uh, just as my parents were about to graduate college, they married, and very quickly they plunged into the business of living. So my father enrolled at UMass Amherst in the graduate program, and within four years, my mother had given birth to myself and my younger brother Dagan. And the courtship and beginning of the marriage might have been pleasant, but my earliest memories are of very loud fights, and they seem to be scheduled for Saturday mornings. And at the time, money was scarce, we're surviving on food stamps, we're moving from one small cramped apartment to the next, the family car is a 1965 Volkswagen Beetle, and my father's the person who performs all the repairs on the car. And in 1971, we move into a duplex apartment in North Village. And now this is university housing for married students with children. And I'm about five years old at the time. And on Saturday mornings, I start rising very early, dressing myself, and heading out to the play lot where I stay for hours until my, one of my parents comes to fetch and scold me. And now on other mornings, I'm going to my friend Michael's, he lives across the quad, and I rap on his bedroom window until he opens it and I crawl inside, and then we greet each other with butt kisses. And so we bear our asses and we press them together gently. And so um, a few hours later, I'll hear his mother on the phone with one of my parents and she says, yep, she's here, she's fine, they're playing. And every once in a while, his mom takes us out for pancake breakfast. Now in 1973, we pack up what little furniture we have, we get in the family car, and we head to Los Alamos where my father's gonna start his first job as a nuclear physicist. And as we drive through the Southwest, I become completely mesmerized by the landscape. The sky is enormous and turquoise, and the horizon is flat, and it stretches out for miles, and it's just punctuated with mesas. And Dagan and I stare out the window trying to be the first person to spot either a roadrunner or a prairie dog. And we get to Los Alamos, move into the new apartment. It's a duplex, but now it's two stories, and Dagan and I each have our own bedroom. For a really brief period of time, I'm optimistic. We're in a new environment, and I'm thinking, maybe my parents are going to be inspired to fix their marriage. And then unbelievably, the fights get worse, and they get louder, and they last longer. So now I officially hate being home. And I rush through all my meals, and I want to just get back outside and explore the nearby canyons, or I want to go to my room and read. And so <clears throat> weekdays, my father drops my brother and I off at school on his way to the lab. And one morning in November, I hurry through breakfast, and I rush outside to wait by the curb. And as I get partway down the walkway, I stop and I take in my surroundings, and the sky is slate gray, the grass is brown, and I'm really glum. And then the earth starts quaking, 
And so I look to my left, and there's a mule deer, mule deer with enormous antlers, and he's charging directly at me. Now, I'm four feet tall. I weigh about 50 pounds. There's no one on the street. There's absolutely nowhere to go. So I freeze. And the buck thunders past so close that I can see the individual hairs that make up his fur coat. And he's going to the ball fields on the next block over and presumably to the low hills past them. And for a moment, I'm rooted to the spot. But the air around me vibrates. And then I become happy, the happiest I've ever been. Because it occurs to me that there's going to come a day when I'm going to get to leave the drab apartments and my parents' awful marriage, and I'm going to get enter this world of adventure. And so I had in the past seen like monkeys and lions and cages, but I'd never been that close to a wild animal. And I realized that the buck and I actually share Los Alamos. So my father and my brother come down the walkway. And as we get in the car, I say nothing of what happened with the deer. Because this is my experience, and I store it in my heart, where it's remained fresh all these years. You dear, dear. Yep. Oh, Wilson, that's an amazing story. It, it was like your Bambi. So, um, <laughs> okay. so that's listen. my story. Yeah. So, woo! No. Do you have to do crazy things to end your show? <laughs> my whole life, my whole life is a crazy thing, as you okay, as good. you can see. So, Ilsa, uh, yeah. tell tell Fish Out of Bagua listeners where they can see your fabulousness. They need to book up. me if they want to hear my fabulousness. Book her. Book them, Dano. <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm going to let you know how old I am. Book them, Dano. And if right. you and if you know where that came from, you old like me. <laughs> <laughs> so. The thing is, um, I am very dedicated to Cornelia Street, so I will definitely be at the next couple of um, open mics, five for five, and okay. beyond that. Seriously, if you if you all want to book me, book me. All right. And uh, do you have a, a social presence, or you, do you have a website? Uh, are I you do on have Twitter, a Instagram? Com. Okay, excellent. And, there's a, and there's a couple of stories from the past couple of years, so you can right. actually see my trajectory as a storyteller. Excellent, and your trajectory is awesome. And you just Thank go. You. you just you're about to take off into a great orbit. I I, I can tell. <laughs> So let me. I asked. This, okay. I've been asking this question lately uh, to close for oh, with okay. every person. So if you could speak to that child sitting alone in their bedroom, whether yep. it's in a little ranch house or yep. a top floor tenement yep. walk up yep. or a, or a wherever, yep. what, what, wherever they are, and they want to be something, and either and I know there's exactly things that are preventing them from doing it. What I'm would you tell them? I would say, don't ever give up. That's what everybody says. Don't ever, you and never, that's the truth. ever Don't give, give up. up. Don't, Don't give up. up. And the only other thing I'd add, which you really can't, I think, express to small children in a way that's really easy to, gra to grab, is uh, gratitude is a huge thing. I think I was not um, as happy until, I think it was probably about 15 years ago I started working on gratitude. And then once I figured that out, I was like, oh, that's what it's about. Yeah. Wake up, be super grateful. Don't give up, and good stuff happens. The biggest lesson I think I learned was not to take people for granted. Yeah. So there we go. That's the same thing. Two grown-ups here talking on Fish Out of Agua. <laughs> Thanks Thank so you. much. Oh, well, no, I'm still growing. <laughs> I'm, 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 don't stop. I'm my shoe size. I have my shoe size. My shoe size is like seven. <laughs> All right, Ilsa, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. Wow, I bet you Ilsa is going to start getting really busy as soon as this episode drops. Yes, and well-deserved. Well, um, go. you can find fabulous things that Ilsa does on ilsajewel.com, I-L-S-A-J-U-L-E punto com. 
Now, here's another song that Ilsa picked. And the name of it really makes me think about what she was talking about, like how things come into your life when you're ready for them, and how for her, it was storytelling that either came into her life or she came into it.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. And that was Coming to My Life by Joyce Sims from her album of the same name back in 1994. Woohoo! 90s, yeah. Getting to some music from the past 20 years, Michelle. <laughs> oh, I've been thinking a lot about the past 20 years, you know, like around the turn of the century, which I love saying because not that many people get to live in between that time, the passage from one century to another. It's pretty special, I think. But anyway, um, as Ilsa was saying, going back to 20 years ago, to, for, for most people, the East Village that they want to live in is the East Village from back in the 20th century. And as we also were speaking of, you know, we're talking about what we hope to do with, with our work. And I remember saying that I want people to know what it was like to be living here in New York in this time and in the times just before and why it mattered. So I'm going to break a little bit and read something that I haven't, I haven't done in a while. I mean, season one, I was reading all the time because I was reading from my book, Fish Out of Agua. But I really haven't been doing any personal reading at all this season, and I'm just going to shut up and read this piece that was inspired by, uh, well, it was inspired by a lot of things, but I was inspired to read it because of Ilse's and my conversation, and it's called Fire New York City. There are some people who say if you play with fire, you get burned, but I beg to differ because I've played with fire my entire life and suffered not even a singed hair because I'm a native New Yorker. And I hate to tell you this, kids. I mean, really. I mean, sit down, because this is kind of like Titi Shell telling you the truth here. Because no matter how long you've lived here, no matter how much of a New Yorker you think or feel you've become, you're never going to know the New York that I know. The real New York, with junkies and bums and drunks, graffiti and garbage and punks, real punks, not those pseudo-skinhead, tribal-tattooed, trustafarians slumming in from Connecticut. I mean real punks. Like Joey Ramone and the rest of the Ramones. Now, yes, they were from Forest Hills, but if you knew what growing up in a neighborhood as small-minded and provincial as that, a neighborhood that was just as small as any small town in all of small town USA could do to you, you would know why they became punk. And that's because my New York is fire. A raging, consuming fire that either consumes the careless or purifies the worthy for what they don't even know that they will become. The New York I know is a transparent, blue, whirling, cosmic supernova that fueled the fires of Walt Whitman, Henry Miller, Marianne Moore, Martin Scorchese, Laura Nyro, Lou Reed, Rita Moreno, Piri Thomas, the New York Dolls, the Ramones. Yes, I mentioned them before, I'm mentioning them again. And yes, I know, I would have named a lot more women, but there are so many of us doing our fabulous things right now, so I'll be taking names later, but let's start with these. And the creative fires of thousands of others, both famous and infamous. The New York I know had Nakaki, Scully, and Manhunt, Brentano's Bookstore, Unique Clothing Warehouse, and Azuma, Dr. Pepper's Concerts, Tad Stakes, and Orange Julius, and real live artists living in Soho. In my New York, we used to cut class and sit on people's stoops in the village. Which village? The West Village? The East Village? In those days, there was only one. It was like the Highlander. And we would cut school and sit there with our RC Cola and our Newport lights and pray for tourists to ask us for directions, just so we could say, 
Fuck you. In my New York, kids wore the proud scars of playground battles. Lumpy foreheads, scabby knees, missing fingers. Hey, there was no padding on the monkey bars back then. No, they were broken Rheingold bottles and panic in Needle Park and used needles galore. And if you fell off a swing and broke something, hey, it was your fault because you were a doofus. Yeah, a doofus. A douchebag with sweaty palms whose mama made you wear skips. And besides, who were you going to sue if you got hurt anyway? No one's father wore a suit to work. Those were only for funerals. And if your daddy wore one otherwise, then all the kids would say that he was a doofus too. There were no cell phones in my New York. Your mom's three out of the house at 8.30 in the morning and you came back when you got there. It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? The hell you do because they're at Orchard Beach. They're in Coney Island. They're hanging out in the parking lot in the Bronx River Projects watching a skinny-ass kid with a boombox under a streetlight put together something that he doesn't even know what it is yet and he won't figure it out until he realizes that he has become Grand Master Flash. In my New York, seven kids would share a soda, ate a piece of gum, and we used to call it ABC, already been chewed, and if you dropped it, you kissed it up to God and you stuck that shit right back in your mouth. No one got sick. What was sick? Sick was, ha- was what happened to your grandmother who threw her slippers at you because she caught you stealing her Bacardi 151. Again. Sick was what they tried to make you when they sent you to your cousin's house when they all had the German measles and they told you to get into bed with them. Hugged them a lot, Michelle. But you never got sick. Because you have the New York fire. You can have a cold beer on a hot summer's day, a second plate of roast pork with fried platanos if you were hungry, and you finished your meal with a cup of coffee and a cigarette. And if you happen to be seven months pregnant at the time, so the fuck what? <laughs> Speaking of coffee, there was no Starbucks in my New York. Iced coffee? That was when you left your cup on the fire escape. Times Square was a place you stayed away from. Bad neighborhoods? What bad neighborhoods? There was no Park Slope South or Williamsburg East or Harlem Light. The D in Avenue D? That stood for death and drugs. Now people spend $100 or $200 on weed and they think they scored. But in the New York I knew, you got 10 joints to a dime bag. Yeah, that's right, 10. And if you didn't, you'd go right back and you'd call the dealer a fucking retard. But you can't even say retard anymore. And that's what New York City has become. A place where you can't take an aspirin if you're pregnant. Kids are playdate prisoners, and all the bodegas are closed because of all the places where a fucking iced coffee costs five bucks. Do I sound bitter? (laughs) I don't mean to. I'm actually quite hopeful. Because I was forged in New York fire, where phones were in the kitchen and water came from faucets, where a tree grew in Brooklyn, a rose in Spanish Harlem, and Rosie is now and will always be the Queen of Corona. And no matter how much they, the ones who, who, who have come now, try to suck out all the oxygen, drain off all the piss and vomit, no matter how much high-tech foam they try to pump over us, the raging, creative, eternal fire that is New York City, the fire that some of us risked our lives for and others have died for, that fire will never, ever die. Because in that fire is the freedom that both terrifies and foments hatred. The freedom to ignite anything from a fresh spark to a dying ember and go wherever that smoke takes you. I know. I have lived my entire life on the lip of the volcano. I'm a New Yorker. And I know that those who pass through the flames come out transformed on the other side. (laughs) And... 
because whether you or not you came from Colo de Caballo, Oklahoma, wherever they got to Arkansas, or Lengua de Pollo, New Jersey, no matter how many rents go up or how many windows break, if you are here, you too have the New York fire. You know who you are sitting out there listening. Because if you couldn't have, have or, would, or wouldn't have withstood the heat, you wouldn't have stayed. Because we are New Yorkers, where every night is Saturday night, the party starts when we get there. Now get the fuck out of our way. And that's our show. You've been listening to Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. We're going to close with this last of Ilse's song picks. Rose Royce, Wishing on a Star from the 1977 album Rose Royce 2 in full bloom. Yeah, I don't think I've even begun to bloom yet, kids. How about you? Well, for all the late bloomers out there, this is the song for you. Now stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next. Go balance an egg at the Equinox on Friday the 22nd at 4 or 2 p.m. And we'll see you next week. So long.